Thank you for downloading the podcast. We believe the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. I know that in the days and weeks and months ahead, we'll probably be bombarded with some fundraisers. I know that the kids and the youth have big, big plans. Everybody say big plans. They've got big plans for camp this summer. So it'll be a blessing to see them, see them believe God for their finances. Amen. Praise God. The book of Job this morning. Everybody say Job. Not Job, Job. <laughs> Hallelujah. I thank, I thank God that we've been able to form doctrine outside of the book of Job. <laughs> Amen. Remember of the old covenant, Paul the apostle writes to us and says these things were given as our example. So I made sure in my ministry over the years not to make doctrine out of examples. Amen. I know there's a lot of people, not a lot, but there's several. One, one pretty good sized ministry that has basically just gone back to Levitical law. I was watching them on TV the other day and kind of grieved me because I know them a little bit, kind of acquainted with them and uh, have, you know, been in meetings with them. And, but, you know, they pretty much, if you're not adhering to feast days and, and uh, uh, you know, doing particular uh, uh, legalistic things, then God will not even wreck. Well, that's just crazy. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Jesus is our law and he's the law of liberty. Glory to God. Well, we're studying the subject of redemption. As we, this week, we'll look a little bit. Last week we looked at, how many remember, coming out and going in. It's not what God brought you out of, but what He's bringing you into. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, but He's also translated us into the kingdom or the dominion of His dear Son. Amen. I've said it for years. It's not what God's brought you out of. It's what He's bringing bringing you into. That's what's going to put you over. Now this week, we're going to look at David and Isaiah just a little bit because next week I want to teach on the incarnation, God being clothed with flesh. But we're just going to look a little bit at the dilemma. Everybody say the dilemma of the dilemma of those that desired to serve God because there were people that did desire to serve God even though they did not have really a way to do it outside of the law that God had given Moses and all that had been set up through the priesthood and everything that had to happen and take place. Basically, the only people that had access to the presence of God was the prophet, priest, and king. Average Joes, just like me and you, had no access whatsoever. Could you imagine sitting down in a conversation with somebody like David or Isaiah or, 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 or Joshua and talking to them about their limited access, but talking to them about how that very spirit that they so hungered for lives in us, lives and abides in us. Oh, I'm glad you're so excited. I think we take it for granted sometimes, you know, that, hey, you know, God's not here, God's not around. He dwells in you. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Know ye not, know ye not that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Jesus said, don't you know the kingdom, it abides in you. That Spirit's in you. But now the book of Job, most Bible theologians agree that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible as far as things being written by men of God. Uh, Most theologians agree that Moses probably wrote it, penned it. It is a true story about somebody that actually lived. Uh, I do not know to the extent or what the extent was that he had a relationship with God. He did have one. He was not destroyed by God. He was destroyed by the devil. 
The reason for his destruction was his fear. The Bible says, Job speaking, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. It was true of Job. It's true of us today. That's why I don't live in fear, live in faith. I like to say it like this. That which you greatly faith will come upon you. Amen. Amen. So here we have Job. Now, after the destruction of all that he had, he begins to voice what I like to call the dilemma of the Old Covenant or of the Old Testament. Listen to it. Listen to it. It says, For he is not a man speaking of God as I am, that I should answer him and that we should come together in judgment. Now notice this. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Listen to it in the Amplified. It says, There is no umpire between us who might lay his hand upon his both. Now listen to this. Would that there were. So Job literally recognizes there's a problem here. There's a good, gracious, merciful God in heaven. But down on earth, there is a man or there is, quote, mankind that has rejected the goodness of God. And because of that, there is no one to stand in between God and man, to put his hand upon God and to put his hand upon man. You say, well, why is that? What would the hand upon God or the hand upon man represent? Well, the hand upon man to take away from man all that was wrong with him because of his rebellion and his sin and put his hand upon God so that something from God could flow into mankind. Job recognized there's nobody that stands in that place. He recognized the need for a Savior. That is the greatest revelation you can get as a human being. Not as a Christian, but as a human being. The greatest recognition you can have, the greatest revelation you can have, is I'm a sinner. I need a, I need a Savior. I need somebody to save me. And you realize the church can't save you. The Pope can't save you. Education can't save you. Money can't save you. Government can't save you. Programs can't save you. Being good can't save you. Self-righteousness can't save you. There's not but one that can save, and his name is Jesus. So in the oldest book of the Bible, it was recognized. Now go to Isaiah real quick, 59. Here it's kind of voiced again in Isaiah. Isaiah 59 There in verse 16. These are such neat scriptures to kind of underline and keep kind of logged away in your redemptive file. Amen. Now look at what it says. It says in verse 16, And he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. Now, as we've taught over the past few weeks, we started with creation. We begin to talk about how God created all that was and is and will ever be. He created the stars and the sun, the sky and the moon for the purpose of the earth. He created the earth for the purpose of man. And he created man for the purpose of himself. God wanted a family. Into this creation came the entity, the enemy of God, an entity that was against God, Satan, Lucifer. He got into a snake. He came illegally. And he literally, we studied about how he usurped spiritual authority. He got their eyes off all the trees they did have, got their eyes on the one tree they could not have. Anyway, man sinned, man fell, man became separated from God. Thus, the dilemma of mankind on the earth today, when he is born into the human family... He is born spiritually separated from God. 
or in a state of what the Bible calls spiritual death. Now, let me just, just take a little rabbit trail just, just for a moment because the question was asked, what about babies? Children, babies, when they are born, they are born in a state of innocence. If you've lost a child, if you've lost an infant, if you've had a miscarriage, if you've had, listen, that, that child will be waiting on you in heaven. Let me say that again. That child will be waiting on you in heaven. You have to get to what the Bible calls the age of accountability. Paul said it like this. He said, I was alive unto God once, but sin revived and I died. Which means he lived to a certain point in which he began to make choices of right and wrong. And when he began to make choices of right and wrong, how many know you always make the wrong choice? And the reason you make the wrong choice is because of the family you're born into. Remember what we said of Adam. He was the fountainhead of all humanity. The first white man, the first black man, the first Hispanic, the first Oriental. Whatever race you come up with, Adam was the first. He is the fountainhead of humanity. And all that's wrong with humanity happened because of his sin. Man's sin, he became spiritually separated from God. God told him in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That separation took place in the garden and Job recognized it when he lived. There's nobody. There's no umpire. There's nobody that stands between us. Isaiah saw it like this. There's no intercessor. The word intercessor means go-between. There's no go-between. So then we studied other men. We studied Noah, how he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We studied Abraham. Out of Abraham came a son named Isaac. Abraham was willing to give his only son, which released God in a blood covenant with Abraham. It gave God permission on earth to give his only begotten son, which is Jesus. Out of Abraham came a family. Out of the family came a nation. Out of the nation came a law and a priesthood. Through the law and through the priesthood, now listen to me, there was limited access to God. You say, what do you mean limited access? There was limited access in that once a year, a high priest with the blood of bulls and goats could go into the Holy of Holies, pour that blood upon the mercy seat, lay his hands upon the scapegoat, confess the sins of Israel, and send that goat out into the wilderness for judgment. All of those a type of Jesus Christ. Amen. But as far as just every old people like you and I, we had no access. We had to depend upon the law. We had to depend upon the priesthood. God gave them some 236, what we call the laws of Moses. And if you understand the teaching of the Word of God, you will understand that it was impossible for them to keep the law that God had given them. Man, what a dilemma. Man, what a circumstance or a situation to be in. Man, I mean to tell you, trying to do good, but you can't do it. So what was the law for? If it was not a standard of behavior, what was it for? If God knew they could not live up to the standard of the law, He gave it to them to reveal the sin nature of man. That man is a sinful being from his beginning. From the day of his birth, he's got a problem. He needs a Savior. He needs the daysman. He needs the intercessor. He needs the one that can put his hand upon the Father and put his hand upon the man. Thank God it was accomplished in Jesus Christ. Now, as far as the nation of Israel is concerned, God gave us this nation. That's why we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why we bless the nation. I do not know why God has dealt with Israel the way he has. But one day, revival will sweep through Israel and they will recognize the one in whom they pierced. But in the meantime, under this covenant, Israel became the keeper 
and the protector of the Word of God. You say, now what significance is there to that? Well, John 1, you don't have to turn there. We'll look at some other scriptures in just a minute. But the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then John 1, 14 says, And the Word was what? Made flesh. We'll study that when we study the incarnation next week. The Word was what? Made flesh. So the Word had to be made flesh, but the Word had to be spoken. The word had to be spoken and God raised up a nation. What did you do? You couldn't just have some guy sitting on the corner protecting the word. The devil would have destroyed that overnight. But if you notice, all during Israel's existence and even up to the, this day, all types of nations do what? Fight against Israel. They fight, they war, they bring terror. You say why? Because Israel kept the word. It was spoken through Moses. We studied that last week. It was spoken through Abraham. It was spoken through Joshua. It was spoken through all the major prophets, minor prophets. Then God raised up, now remember this, not according to His will. You say, what do you mean not according to His will? According to their own desire, the nation cried out for a king. It was not the will of God that Israel be a monarchy ruled by one. It was the will of God that Israel be a theocracy ruled by God. But they kept asking for a king, asking for a king, asking for a king, which means be careful, be careful with your faith. You say, why? Well, that happened to me one time years ago. I was believing God for a particular thing, for some restoration in some area. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you do not back off of what you're doing with your confession, with your prayer life, and with your faith, I will give you what you're asking for. But what you're asking for is not in line with my will for your life. You say, that's not in the word. Yes, it is. Israel did it. They did it as a nation. They cried out. God gave them Saul. Saul kept them in war. Saul could not adhere to the law. He sinned. But then God went to and did something totally opposite of the way man does things. God goes to a family and doesn't take the eldest son, which was the human family does, but takes the least likely. Finds a little guy that wasn't even invited to the, to the banquet in which the prophet came. Samuel was coming. They threw a big bang. How'd you like that to be in your family? They say, you know, Billy Graham's going to come to the house and you can come, you can come, you can come, but we don't want you anywhere near it. That's what happened to David. You talk about an inferiority complex. Amen. Here comes Samuel the prophet. We're going to make a great feast. All of you older guys, you know, uh, Benadad and Shama and all you other guys, put on your best suit. Go down to get your hair cut and get your nails done. I want you looking good. Samuel's coming and David's going, what can I do? What can I do? You can go out and keep the sheep. Samuel lined up the, prophet, the, the, the sons of Jesse. As they stood, now listen, this is amazing. He would take a, 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 a vessel that had a wax plug in it. That wax plug held back the anointing oil that the apothecary made. As he would hold that up over each and every son, he would ask God, is this the one? He would know whether or not it was the one by whether or not that wax supernaturally melted within that vessel and that oil poured out. So he went to the oldest. Nope, not him. The next, nope, not him. The next, nope, not him. Next, nope, not him. And then he finally went to Jesse and said, is this all your sons? He says, I got one more. He's the youngest son. He's out tending sheep. Now, could you imagine to the amazement of probably Samuel himself and the family 
as he held that anointing oil over David, what happened? That wax supernaturally melted and all that fragrant anointing oil poured down on the one that was not dressed for the banquet, but the one dressed for tending sheep. 17 years old. Anointed of God. Now, so much is not really known, but what we do know about David Even into the new covenant, Acts chapter 15, talks about setting up again the tabernacle of David so the residue of men could worship God. Says it over in Romans chapter 15, 7. Says out of the root of Jesse. Talked about that one that would be in the lineage of King David. There was something about David. Let me just say, there was something about David that God really liked. I believe it was his servant attitude. I believe it was his faithfulness to God. I believe it was his willing to admit his mistakes when he made them, be quick to repent, be quick to be restored, and be quick to receive whatever God had for him, no matter what the consequences may be. He found a man in David like a man after its own heart. So I begin to think, because I've really not, in teaching on redemption, I've not gone into these areas. I've pretty much gone from Moses and Abraham and went right on into incarnation. But I knew I was skipping a major part of our redemptive, our redemptive process in not mentioning two people, and that's David and Isaiah. So David, I begin to pray last week. I said, okay, Lord, what do I do? I talk about him killing a giant. What do I do? I mean, what am I going to teach on? There's so much in the Word. There's 1 Samuel. There's 2 Samuel. There's a, and the Lord said, go into the Psalms. Just take a couple of scriptures out of the Psalms because it's amazing understanding that David wrote the majority of the Psalms. It's amazing how much is prophetic about Jesus in the Psalms. Now, real quick, I want you to go to Psalms 22. Psalms 22, now let me say this before I read it. You will find this absolutely amazing. If, If you will make a decision to become a student of redemption, as I did many years ago, this is one of the most amazing realities I found. When I first began to study redemption, I thought, man, that was... Paul must have had so many dreams, so many visions. He must have had so many encounters with Jesus. I mean, it just must have been overwhelming. But in reality, and we'll study the Pauline. Everybody say Pauline. The Pauline revelations. We'll see the revelation of who we are, what we have, what we can do in Christ. The majority, I would say three quarters. If you're a student of redemption and you study this, you'll find this out. Three quarters of everything the Apostle Paul writes to us about our redemption comes directly from the Old Covenant. He quotes the Old Covenant. You say, why? Well, Jesus didn't come to do away with it. Jesus came to complete it. Now, we know there are those things that He got through dreams and revelation that are unique to our our covenant. But there's a whole lot of it that God did what? God said, 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 not only so that what he said could become Jesus, but that also what he said could become the new creature and we could have what he says we can have and do what he says we could do. You say, why? Because he said it and said it and said it and said it and confirmed it, confirmed it in, in, in his son and then said it and said it and said it again. I want you to know the Lord is still my shepherd and I shall not want. Oh, we'll get into that later. You'll, you'll be. But, but, but Psalms 22, listen to this. Now, let me just say this before I start. Put on your redemptive ears. You say, what do you mean my redemptive ears? Listen from our side of the cross. 
Listen from us being in 2013. Don't try to listen like we're back in David. No, listen from 2013, from the redemptive side of the cross. Listen to the first scripture. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Where did that come from? What in the world are you talking about, David? David was never forsaken by God. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. So he must be talking about something else. He's looking down through the portal of time. He's seen a wooden cross on Golgotha's hill. He's seen a bleeding sacrifice. Not a lamb, not a goat, but a man. And not any man, but somebody who's 100% man and 100% God, all wrapped up in one package. And he's hands are stretched out on the cross and he's crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. In the night season and am not silent, but thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and they were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and a no man, a reproach of men and despised of people. Now notice this. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. You got your redemptive ears on. How they mocked Jesus in Pilate's court. Notice, notice what it says. They shoot out of the lip. That's King James. That means they spit on me. They spit on me. They shake their heads saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. How many walked by Jesus while He hung on the cross? And say, hey, He saved others. Let Him save Himself now. You say, why are you telling us this, Rusty? Because everything that God does is foretold. Because God says, I have given my word. I watch over it to perform it. It shall not return void. And if He said this about Jesus, what does He say about you? He says he supplies all your need. He says by his stripes you're healed. We'll look at that in a minute. All these words he spoke came to pass about Jesus and all the words he has spoken about you, God desires for them to come to pass. Mm-mm-mm. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Belly, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Then it goes to talk many bulls of Bashan that talks about these are demonic forces. They've come, but now notice verse, verse 18. They part my garments among them, cast their lots upon my vesture. Notice verse 16. For dogs have come past me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Be not far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of God. This is speaking of, you know what happens, folks. We'll study this when we study how he took all that was wrong with us. This is all of that's wrong with humanity, the demonic forces, the sickness and disease. He took it willingly upon himself. He was never a sinner. He never committed sin. He took your sin. He was never sick. He took your sickness and disease. He was never addicted or afflicted. He took your addiction. He was never oppressed. He took your oppression. 
Come on, church. He took it all upon you and David is seeing it now. He's seeing it now. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. This never happened to David. This is what happened to Jesus. Be that now. Deliver my soul from the sword. It said, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise thee. It goes on to begin to talk about all that he's going to do once he comes out of the grave. But then the next chapter is what? Chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, we could go many other. I could go all through the Psalms. I wanted to stop at this one right here. One other I want to mention though. Psalms 103, David says this. The Lord said unto my Lord, now, first of all, you would say to David, huh? Oh, now, wait a second. Oh, what are we talking about here, David? The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David was a unique individual that he saw Jesus as the redemptive... Bit. Now, I don't know if he knew that his name was going to be Jesus. I don't know if he knew what his name was going to be. But he saw this individual. He saw this man that Job cried out for. He saw this individual that could put his hand upon God and place his hand upon humanity. Could you imagine David's zeal for God? He had so much zeal, so much heart for God. But when it came to serving God, he was still a spiritually dead man and ended up involved in adultery, and became a co-conspirator to a murderer. But even in the midst of his sin and his iniquity, the Bible says he found a new way into the presence of God. The only way was, was how? Through a bleeding sacrifice and a Levitical priesthood. But Jesus said, I come into his courts. Anybody know? With thanksgiving. Coming to his, uh, come his courts with coming to his courts with thanksgiving. I will enter into his courts with thanksgiving into his heart. I will come into, my, into his courts with praise. He began to understand praise and worship. And David found when he should have gotten judgment, now listen to me, when he should have gotten judgment, David found mercy. I said when he should have gotten judgment, David found mercy which is good news for us today, folks, because the one that he believed that would come has come. He has died upon the cross. He has risen. He sits at the right hand of the Father. You may have done some bad things in your life, but I've gotten good news for you. Instead of judgment, God has mercy for you. Instead of a sentence of destruction, God has blessing. God has poured out the blood of his own son Jesus upon the mercy seat. And because of that, when God looks at you, he sees two things, the marks of a covenant upon the hands of His Son and the blood on the mercy seat that cries out on your behalf, forgiven, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. God continued to speak. We know that David's reign continued through his children and his children's children. It was David's heart or desire to build a temple, a place for God to live, but David had so much blood on his hands, God allowed Solomon to do it. Now, God also spoke through prophets. Everybody say prophets. Isaiah 53, and then we'll look at Isaiah 61 as we close. Prophets in the Old Testament were given for one reason. They were given to bring forth that word which God would use to bring direction to the nation of Israel. Also to establish the word of God, that word that the nation would keep. 
Now, let me say this. We're not teaching on this subject, but let me just say it to kind of help you. There is no correlation between an Old Testament and a New Testament prophet. Let me say that again. There is no correlation between a New Testament and an Old Testament prophet. There are two completely different individuals with two completely different ministries. I was watching a, a, a particular program the other night, particular individual that, quote, calls himself a prophet, and I trust if he is a prophet, eventually one day his fruits will show forth, or he'll show forth the fruit of that in his ministry. Up to this point, he hasn't. But this is what he said of himself. He said, I'm not a prophet as is talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He said, no, I'm an Old Testament prophet. And I thought to myself, oh, my Lord. Now, now we don't want to judge, but we also want to make sure that we don't get ourselves in the ditch, follow the wrong people. No, no, no. You've not been given a prophet to guide you. God didn't trust a prophet to guide his church. God didn't trust a pastor or an apostle or an evangelist or a teacher. God only trusted himself. So he put the guidance, the GPS mechanism of the believer on the inside and trust one person himself in the person of the Holy Ghost to guide you and lead you. So if anybody ever comes up to you and says, you know, you need a prophet, you say, that's okay, I've got the Holy Ghost. You say, well, what do New New Testament prophets do? Well, they operate in revelation gifts and they bring forth revelation out of the Word of God and many of them even operate in power gifts. But the good news is God's put the Spirit of God on the inside of you and that's what guides you, leads you, and teaches you in Jesus' name. I don't know who that was for, but that'll help you anyway. Isaiah 53. Now, we're in Isaiah 53. Just put it in reverse for a second. Go right back up into 52 for just a second. Just right up in there into verse 13. Behold, everybody say behold. means look and see. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And as many as were astonished at thee, his visions or his countenance was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Now Isaiah, he's blinking his eyes. He's looking and he opens his eyes and he's seeing into the spirit realm. And he's looking down through the portal of time and he's seeing Golgotha. He's seeing Calvary. And he's looking and he's prophesying. And he's saying, I'm seeing a being. I'm seeing somebody hanging on a cross. But I can't even tell it's a man. He's so marred. He's so tormented. He's so overwhelmingly tortured. I can't even tell it's a man. That's what he's saying. As many were as astonished as his, at his visions or at his countenance was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had been told them they shall see. And that which they had not heard they shall consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But notice this. Surely, everybody says, surely. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But... He was wounded for our transgression. 
He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was on him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now remember the three words. Two weeks ago we studied three words. Identification, substitution, union. Isaiah begins to see it. He begins to see this wonderful expression of the love of God, Jesus of Nazareth. He begins to take all of your sin, all of your iniquity, anything that can torment your mind. Listen, if he's taking it, why do we carry it? Our sickness and disease, our poverty and lack, anything that's wrong with the human family and experience, he begins to just allow it to come up on him to come up on him. He that knew no sin was made sin. He never sinned. He never had the sin nature. He was the spotless lamb of God. His human spirit was not separated from God. He was in union with God. He was the son of almighty God. But he began to take this upon himself for us. Wounded for our transgression. Every sin you've ever committed, he was wounded for it. He was bruised for our iniquity. Wounds outward, bruised inward. The inward part of man that was so twisted and depraved that would not serve God, that was man's condition in Adam, that rejected God at every turn. He said, I'll take that iniquity. I'll be bruised all over my body for that iniquity. I'll take, I'll assume it. Wounded for, bruised for, the chastisement of our peace, our wholeness. What torments the mind? What causes such fear and anxiety? So many people in our nation today, we talked about how we are a nation uh, that we consume over 99% of the pharmaceuticals that are produced in the world. Our nation consumes 99% of it. Why? Anxiety, lack of wholeness, pain, grief. People just medicate themselves into a numb state. Then the illicit drug market is... 40-something billion dollars just in the United States alone. But he took it, church. He took it. He assumed it. He brought it upon himself. Why? Well, look at that. Well, look at that. He did it that he might destroy it. Now, real quick. My time's almost up. Isaiah 61. You're learning something this morning. Oh, God is so good. I said, God is so good. Now, you got your redemptive ears on? Listen, listen. 61, verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. Now, Jesus quoted this scripture in Luke chapter 4. The Bible says he come up out of the wilderness and went into the synagogue as was his custom. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he said it turned to the place where it was written, which we know was Isaiah 61. And he began to proclaim, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he began to go through all that scripture said. Then he said this. He said, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then the Bible says he closed the book. You say, what do you mean, pastor? Church, we live in what Jesus Christ calls the acceptable year of the Lord. Not the day of the vengeance of our God. That day is coming. 
Thank God you're going to be on the right side of that. Thank God you're going to be on the right side of His glory. Thank God you will come back with Him. You will have been in heaven seven years. You have been at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You have been living in your glorified body in heaven for seven years. You will come back in that eastern sky with Him. When that sky dawns, when that sun breaks in the eastern sky, you will ride with Him into Israel and into Jerusalem. And we will establish for a thousand year millennium the kingdom of God on earth. This ain't fantasy. This ain't Walt Disney. This is truth and reality. But in the meantime, we've got to go out and we've got to tell the world, you're not living under the judgment of God. All of that Old Testament stuff, all of that do's and don'ts, that has been taken and folded up and put away. You are living in the acceptable year of the Lord, a day of His grace, a day of His mercy, a day in which you can come just as you are to God. Quit trying to fix it yourself. Quit trying to fix yourself up. Let God do it. In Christ Jesus. Church can't do it. Religion can't do it. But Jesus does it for every whosoever that calls upon his name. God prophesied it and spoke the word and spoke the word and spoke the word. And he did it through Moses and Joshua and Abraham. And he did it through David and he did it through Isaiah and the major prophets and minor prophets. So one day that word became flesh. But then that word accomplished what God said it would do. And today, the Word sits on the right hand of the Father. As what? As the go-between that Job longed for. As the intercessor and the daysman that the whole planet yearned for because it had no contact with God through the sin of one man. By one man's sin, all have died. All have become separated from God. But through one man's obedience much more the gift of grace and the eternal gift of salvation has been given unto many through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Isn't God good? Lift your hands up and just worship God. I can preach myself happy. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. David didn't have it. Joshua didn't have it. Moses didn't have it. Abraham didn't have it. Isaiah didn't have it. Ezekiel didn't have it. Daniel didn't have it, but we got it. I said, but we've got it. I said, but we've got it. Sure, there's some struggles. Sure, there's some battles. Sure, there's some fights. But we're not trying to get something that we don't have. No, we've got it already in Jesus' name. And we stand in our position of victory and who we are in Christ. And we declare we're the saved of God. We're the healed of God. We're the blessed of God. We're the prosperous of God. And as surely as God watched over His Word to perform it, to bring Jesus to pass and existence on this earth, He'll do the same for you. For he's the same God that loves and cares about you. Amen. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. We trust you enjoyed the podcast. We extend an invitation to you. Come join us in one of our services. Sunday morning, 1045. Tuesday prayer, 730. Thursday evening, midweek service 7.30 We are located 2411 69th Street Galveston, Texas See you there